Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Can't do that anymore, can't do this, and and I gotta be honest with you, I was never really bummed out by it, because I, I sensed from the very beginning that everything Jesus wanted from me, he had something better for me. And it's really turned out that way. There's not one thing I ever turned from in order to please him that I've regretted, and it won't be any different for you. In part two of The Savior Worshipped, we begin in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 21. Pastor Sam is looking at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, his cleansing of the temple, and his first few days in Jerusalem. The promised Messiah has arrived. It was prophesied that one like Moses would arise to deliver the people from bondage. It's interesting if you see the pieces of the puzzle coming together. Moses, the deliverer of the Old Testament. It all happens through the Passover, which these people have come to Jerusalem to celebrate. Here's Jesus, the prophet, promised one like unto Moses, who would deliver his people, who would bring them out of bondage, not the Roman oppression, but their own oppression, the bondage of sin and its nature and, and all that it brings into our lives and the devastation we experience as a result. So the multitudes ask, who is it? Who is he? And the multitudes who knew responded, Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Jesus heads directly to the temple. And for some, this would be a deja vu. You see, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus had gone into the temple and cleansed it. Now, three years later, he does the very same thing. And before we look at it, let me share with you that there is a very practical application for me personally, and I believe for each and every one of you personally. When I first came to the Lord, there were so many things that had to change. And I was kind of oblivious, I truly was. I mean, I knew that immorality was wrong and that would have to go. I knew that lying or stealing or, you know, I, the, the basic sins, you know. But there were some things I just didn't see as sin. So much so that one day I stood with my very best friend in a line, like some of you stand after the service, do you want to just say hi to me or ask how things are going or maybe you have a prayer request? And, and I was in a line, my pastor Chuck Smith, rather long line, rather large church. And when we got up there, I said, hey, I'm a young Christian. This is my buddy Leo. We're, we're you know, just starting to get involved here and we've just come to the Lord recently and people are telling us we can't smoke pot and be Christians. Is that true? <laughs> no, you got to know I'm a bit naive at that point, right? Because how dumb do you have to be to think, you know, smoking pot and being a Christian, well, those go hand in hand, those work out fine. No, that you've got to know that's a problem. But see, I lived in this little bubble where almost everyone I knew got stoned. That's the absolute truth. I thought there were a few freaks out there, probably, you know, geeks and nerds that didn't get stoned. And, and uh, you know, most people were getting loaded. Now, the bottom line is, the majority of people don't get stoned, never did get stoned, and were much smarter than me who was getting stoned. But, but I bring this to your attention only to say that there were lots of things in those first weeks and months of being a Christian where Jesus just said, it's time to clean house. That stuff's got to go. That can't be. Can't do that anymore. Can't do this. And, and I got to be honest with you, I was never really bummed out by it because I, I sensed from the very beginning that everything Jesus wanted from me, he had something better for me. And it's really turned out that way. There's not one thing I ever turned from in order to please him that I've regretted. And it won't be any different for you. 
But here's my point. If you're a brand new baby Christian here, young in the Lord, lots of changes taking place. By the way, you are, the Bible says, individually and then we corporately, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't have a tabernacle as they did in the wilderness. We don't have a temple as they did in Jesus' day. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when he cleans house in the beginning, that's good news. And he's doing it because, well, there are some things that need to happen in your life that need to happen in my life that will never happen if those other things continue to happen. Does that make sense? So, so what he does is early on in the ministry, he cleans house. Now, three years later, here he is cleaning house again. And it's interesting that the very things he had cleansed and dealt with and rebuked in the beginning, well, they've crept back in. Fortunately, not for me personally, and hopefully not for you either. But, but if you find that, well, Maybe you are a little backslidden. I don't know if there's really such a thing as that. It's like a little pregnant. You are or you aren't. But the the bottom line is, if you realize that you're not in the place you once were with the Lord, you're not experiencing the same peace or the same joy, you're not experiencing the, the same love for Him and passion for Him, well, then that is a backslidden state. And see, because we may not be doing the big things that everybody knows are wrong, that even the heathen and the pagan knows are wrong, Even though that may not be happening, that doesn't mean that we can't subtly slide away, drift away. The book of Hebrews talks about this sort of imperceivable drifting away as we spend less time with the Lord, less time in the Word, less time in prayer. And it's not just dedicating ourselves to more reading and more praying and more pursuing of the Lord. No, it's it's a whole different thing. It's just saying, Lord, I don't want anything to creep back into my life that would hinder me or keep me from you. I want to be as close to you as possible, as fruitful for you as possible, as faithful to you as possible. Well, what happens is he enters in, verse 12 says, he went into the temple of God, drove out all who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there as he cleanses the temple. See it. It's a public judgment of those abusing the house of God. A public judgment on those abusing the people of God. Now, people had traveled from all over to celebrate this feast. If you were traveling a great distance, you knew you needed a sacrifice. Bringing a sacrifice with you is difficult. So many brought money. They sold a lamb at home. They brought their money and and they would buy a Passover lamb. The problem was there was an exorbitant exchange rate in order to trade your money for the money that was acceptable or could be used in the purchase of the animals. Those who live close enough to bring a lamb, well, that lamb would be closely inspected. And it was common to find a flaw and say, well, this won't do. It needs to be a perfect sacrifice. And I'm thinking that this is kind of how the scene would go. The guy would inspect the lamb and say, no, nope, this is never going to do. But I'll tell you what, I can give you a great deal on this little baby right here. And I'll take yours as a trade-in. And uh, everything will work out wonderful. So they were ripping off the people and forcing them to buy lambs. Well, and then what are they going to do with your lamb? I'm thinking the next guy that comes, his lamb's not going to be acceptable. But all of a sudden, your lamb is. And so it's just this continual taking advantage of the people of God. 
Now, there's so many ways that happens today, but I don't really want to go down that road because it will divert us from really where the Lord would have our attention be today. What I do want to share is that he said, my house, this house, my father's house, it's to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And so God calls us to absolute integrity and absolute honesty in every possible area of our life. And so it's easy for me to, to assess, am I always doing what I should do? Am I always faithful in all things? Am I always, well, no, none of us are always and so it's easy for me then to say, Lord, forgive me and cleanse me, knowing that if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And that's true for you as well. Well, when the temple is cleansed of greed and corruption, sins that we are prone to, well, it begins to fulfill the purpose for which it was created. And that will happen in us. If there's anything we as Americans need to deal with, it would be greed and corruption. Because with all we have, most of us aren't satisfied or at peace with it. We're still striving for more or comparing what we have with what others have. And, and so, well, if that's your thing, deal with it. And if not, well, we'll get to you, I promise. But when the temple is cleansed of greed and corruption or anything else that hinders, it fulfills the purpose for which it was created. And see, there are three things he mentions here, and we read them. The first thing, God's house is to be a house of prayer. And, and it is an absolute that when my life is filled with other things, they don't have to be bad things, you see. Sometimes the best things are choked out by good things. And I can find myself doing a whole lot of stuff and I can say, well, it's all good stuff. And the Lord's saying, yeah, but we spend so little time actually talking together. So little time actually communing. That's whole, really what prayer is about, you see, is just us doing what they were doing. Worshipping Him, acknowledging Him, praying to Him, asking of Him. Acknowledging our need for His blessings and, and praising Him for the blessings He's already bestowed on us. One of the things that is wonderful as far as our gathering together, and I'm sure it's one of the many reasons, he says, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, is there is a great deal of prayer in our services. I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't even remember it. I remember, you know, there was a little prayer in the worship, and then you prayed, but where was all that great prayer? Listen, think about the songs we sing. So many of them are out of the Psalms themselves. They are actually prayers offered to the Lord. Many of the songs we write or find, they are songs offered to the Lord, either of prayer or praise. So it isn't just, well, if we're saying Father or, or you know, praying this way or praying that way, prayer is, is an attitude of the heart and, and it's a petitioning of the Lord. Make me like you, Lord. Make me like you. We used to sing it in the early days of the Calvary movement. You are a servant, make me one too. That's a prayer, you see. It's saying, I want to be like you. I want to be transformed. I want to be useful. I want to be fruitful. Make me a different person, Lord. That's prayer. And our services are filled with that type of prayer. But the Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. And a heart that is well, truly connected, abiding in the Lord, will be a heart overflowing with prayer and overflowing with praise. There's something else here, though. It says, The blind and lame, verse 14, came to him in the temple, and he healed them. God's house is to be not just a house of prayer, but a house of healing. And while we don't have healing surface services, per se, we don't have special services dedicated for healing, at the end of every service, there is opportunity to come forward or gather in the hallways or in the bookstore or in the classrooms and just say, I'm in need of prayer. 
And there are elders and big brothers and big sisters and pastors and people all around that, hey, they believe God can touch and heal and happy to pray for you and with you. A house of prayer, a house of healing. I got to be honest, I've never seen a blind person healed. I've never seen a lame person healed. But I have seen God answer prayer in healing. We've seen God answer prayers for healing with people with cancer. And we have prayed for people with cancer and we've seen those people die within weeks and go to be with the Lord. And I, I got to share something so important in this area. Some have, well, they've assumed that if we pray right, if we line it up or you know, get it figured out, that, that we can get God to do our will on earth. But that's not what he taught us to pray. My will be done in heaven as it is on earth. No, it's like your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's how I learned this. Young pastor working with us some years ago had leukemia. The doctors gave him six months. The Lord decided he had five years. That's how it is, by the way. Sometimes the doctors say six months. We had a, a brother just last month uh, diagnosed with cancer. He died within four weeks. I've never seen that before, but that, that happened. But we had this guy diagnosed with leukemia. Five years he lives. And for those five years, we prayed every single day, Lord, just sustain Barry and protect Barry and raise him up and continue to use him mightily. And he was used mightily of the Lord, but ultimately the Lord took him home. And his widow and others came and they said, I don't get it. We prayed for healing and God didn't heal him. And there are two things I learned from it. One is, well, ultimately God did heal him, you see. It is the perfect healing to go home and be with the Lord if you're a Christian. Why? Because you are no longer in pain. You're no longer grieving. You no longer weep. You no longer suffer. I mean, you're in glory with the Lord. It doesn't get any better than that. But there's something else. Our prayers, because while we're limited in our perspective are almost always, Lord, heal, heal, heal. I mean, nobody comes and says, will you pray for me that, you know, that, you know, well, Let's be honest. If you're coming up for prayer, it's not, hey, would you pray that the Lord take me home? No, most people are like, would you pray that the Lord would heal me and leave me here? And, and so I'm reading John 17. And, and if Jesus prays, Father, I want them to be with me. And behold the glory I had with you before the world began. And I realized I'm down here praying, Lord, don't take them. And Jesus is saying, I want them up here. And we're praying, Lord, please don't take them. And Jesus is saying, I really want them up here. And I ultimately realized we're praying against the will of the Lord who's saying, I want to bring them home. Now, don't be worried. If you come up for prayer, we're not going to say, we know you want them, Lord, so take them, you know. <laughs> we won't do that to you. But, but we need to understand that when we pray, knowing that the Lord sees the big picture and we see just a little picture, that we need to just be submitted. And it's not a cop-out in any way to say, your will be done. You have a perfect will. You have a perfect plan, Lord. It doesn't make sense to me for a young pastor to die and to leave his wife and two children behind. I don't get that. But Lord, in your perfect wisdom, you chose to take Barry to be with you. We're submitted to you, Lord. We're submitted to your wisdom. We worship you in the midst of it all. And so that's what's going on, is, is God's house is to be a place of healing, and your life should be a place where people can connect and find healing and help and hope. And I believe wholeheartedly that healing comes through the Word of God, that there is something that happens in our lives personally, individually, as we are just exposed to and submitted to the truth of the Word of God. I find myself in a trial, as you often do, and I'm, Lord, what's, what's up with this? And he's like, 
don't consider it strange, this fiery trial that you're going through. This is something I'm using to perfect you and mature you. And I'm like, oh yeah, your word, Lord, it's the solution to this dilemma. Or I find myself in some other situation and, and it's always his word that brings that healing. And if you don't understand that healing isn't always physical, Isaiah 53, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Healed from what? Our transgressions, our iniquities, our, our sins. It's the ultimate healing because, hey, physical healing, who couldn't use it? We all go through times where we are in need of it. But the real issues of life aren't temporal and physical. They are eternal and spiritual. And so, bottom line, God's house, a house of prayer, a house of healing, and then a house of praise. Note, as they are worshiping out of the mouth of babes, you have perfected praise. Perfect praise comes forth from these youngsters and these people worshiping the Lord. Now, the chief priest, and it's kind of interesting, is they see what's going on and they hear what's going on, we read in verse 14, they were indignant, or verse 15, excuse me, and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. And then he says, have you never read? That's an ouch, by the way, if you are the religious leaders that he is confronting. Haven't you read? Listen, these guys spent all their time reading the scriptures, discussing the scriptures, debating the scriptures. They were, that was their whole deal, you see. But they were reading without real comprehension. And when he says, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? What he's saying is, well, and he says it elsewhere. You study the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But they testify of me. And if you're a person that you think you're a Christian because you read and study the Bible and you believe stuff in it, it's not that, that, that really isn't enough. It's Jesus, you see, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace upon him. By his stripes, through his shed blood, we are healed, restored, redeemed, recovered. And so out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have perfected praise. He left them, went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. We conclude with, well, a little section, just a few verses, and we got to get to them because... At first reading, they don't seem to apply, but we're going to see that they really do, and, and amazingly so. In the morning, we read, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. Verse 19 says, seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately, the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither so soon? And Jesus answered, saying, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith, and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Now, ordinarily, if we were only dealing with this passage, we would focus on the obvious. And that is, hey, faith, and it's going to be productive. And whatever you ask, if it's, of course, course, according to his will, you're going to have it. But I want to show you something that's not as obvious, but incredibly important. First of all, the fig tree itself speaks to us prophetically. The fig tree was the symbol of national Israel. Even as we have the eagle, you know, the American eagle, worldwide we're known the eagle is our symbol. 
Israel's symbol was the fig tree. And Jesus cursing this fig tree. You kind of know he doesn't like, hey, really hates this tree, you know. It's, no, it, well, he's hungry. He gets cranky when he doesn't eat. No, that's not what's going on. He is publicly demonstrating something that later they will get and that today we need to get. That Israel was chosen by God and blessed by God and, and he chose them to be, well, with him, intimate with him, connected to him, obedient to him, representatives of him. And Israel was anything but. There was leaves on this tree, that's significant. It means there was an outward appearance of health and vitality, but there was no fruit. And again, that is a picture of many, not just in Israel in that day, but many people today. Outwardly, there's an appearance of spirituality, of health, of vitality, but the reality is there's just not much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And, and, and truly, if we are abiding in Him and connected to Him, as He says must be the case in John 15, there will be fruit. Abide in me. Because you can't produce fruit on your own. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Severed from me, no fruit. So this is a picture of national Israel. And Jesus is really declaring judgment on them. If you're unaware, he did pause and weep over the city and pronounce the formal judgment before he even entered into the city. And not long after all this, well, 70 AD, relatively short in the scheme of things, the city itself would be destroyed, the people ravaged. And, and, and so what happens is Jesus is giving us a prophetic picture as he curses the fig tree. Hang on to all that because when we get to Matthew 24, it will be incredibly important. It also speaks to us practically for what if the very purpose of life was to connect with God, to know him, to worship him, to acknowledge him, to praise him. And then to so connect with him that not only does his love continually flow to us, but through us. What if that were the purpose of life and you never knew it? Or you knew it and never did anything about it? Listen, that's the case for multitudes of people in our world today and potentially some of you today. It's not how much you know, it really is who you know and how you know him. And so the bottom line is, you were created for God and by God and, and you have this capacity and a need to worship God. And if you're not a real worshiper of the true and living God, you're missing the whole purpose of your existence. You are missing the purpose for which he created you. And then finally, personally, prophetically, practically, and personally, is your life, is my life more fruitful today than ever before? Can I say honestly that I love God more today than I ever have before? Can you say honestly that you love God more passionately and more fervently and more practically than ever before? And, and if so, do we love people, one another, and then the world outside more than we ever have before? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's not about appearance and it's not about spirituality outwardly. It's about fruit that is being manifested in our life as we abide in Jesus. Do I love more? Because if I'm abiding in him, I will love him more, and I will love you more, and I will love the world more. There'll be a peace. Are you more at peace now than you've ever been? Or is that peace, well, has it slipped away? Are you more filled with joy and gratitude? Are you thankful for what God has given you and, and what God's doing in and through you? Because if not, listen... It's easy to just say, Lord, today, i got to confess before you. 
I'm, I'm in that place that Sam's talking about and, and I don't know that I love you more than I have or I'm not in the peace or the joy or I'm not as patient as I once was or know I could be or should be. I don't say any of this to bring you down, but really to bring you up. Because if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's really why we came together. This could be a house, this place where we gather, but even more so us personally and individually and then corporately, where there would be real prayer and there would be real healing and there would be true praise. And we would reconnect if we're unconnected or disconnected. Abide in me as you can't bear fruit apart from me. According to the Gospel of Matthew, the first thing Jesus does upon his arrival in Jerusalem is to cleanse the temple. And I love that. Had I needed to cleanse my temple or clean up my act before asking the Lord to come into my life, I do not think I ever would have asked. Because without Jesus, that cleansing is just something I never could have done on my own. And I love that the Lord went right to work on me and will never stop that work until it's complete. And this is his promise. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.